0: Let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up, Sega games. Just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bits Swinger Report Show live. Get ready for Sega interviews and news. Hello and Outside welcome to the SegaBit Bits Swingin' Report something. Show live. You I'm Barry. Like without... And joining me tonight, we have a returning guest. He was with us, uh, I gotta say, three years ago. And uh, he's back. There's a lot of returning guests um, as we shifted to the live format. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing what this guy has to say. So I'm going to bring him in here now. We have Kyle Fegley, the writer of uh, many Sonic books that you, you may or may not know he is behind. Um, let's welcome him here. Here he is. Hey. Hey. There we go. That's my one, <laughs> my one drop is the applause just to kind of break the ice there. So, yeah, man, last time we had you on... Uh, was three years ago. Mm-hmm. You, I, I typically don't go back and listen to the, the old conversations because who does that? Like, who's like, oh, I, I remember what we talked about three years ago, but you don't. Um, mm-hmm. But I did just listen to the first five minutes to, you know, get a sense of uh, how our conversation went. Um, and you reached out to me, I realized.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was when I had just started, you know, because I started doing the stuff um, for Penguin, and and when Penguin back in the day asked me, they had actually offered me. I don't know if I mentioned this back in the past, but they offered me two different properties to work on, and it was Sonic, and it was this something else. I won't say what it was, but I was obviously like Sonic, give me like give me Sonic, and not only did I want to do Sonic, um, but uh, uh, luckily it turned out the other property fell through they didn't even put out a book for that so if I would have taken that gig I would have not gotten any work out of it because it fell through in the last minute um but yeah but I remember when yeah when those books came out I mean I, I'd i been a sonic guy for a long time and I was like I gotta let people know that these exist so yeah it was very nice that
0: you got back to me on that yeah and I I remember uh, bits and pieces of our conversation I knew I let it be known to you that I'm a big fan of like Junior novels that add new wrinkles to the, um, I guess, <laughs> fabric of of franchises, especially like video game stuff, like um, Sonic. And and I remember there was a Mario Choose Your Own Adventure where you could like have Mario compete in the Olympics. This was like in the I think early nineties, and you would like read and then collect items and write them down on a little scratch pad. Um, but for Sonic, there were actually a massive amount of. Um, uh, fiction that wasn't based on any games wasn't based on any tv shows it was just stories that people were making up a, a lot of times it felt like on the fly um, yeah. <laughs> with just some of the oddities that came out in the 90s um, and so I was really excited when you reached out to me because when I saw the books that you had uh, uh, contributed to so there's this one Sonic and the Tales of Terror yeah Um, and what I recall really liking about this is I'm just a big fan of like kind of anything Halloween related. I know Garfield had a lot of spooky books back in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had those too. Yeah. With some fantastic like oil paintings in them. Like Jim Davis could never make something like that. Um, and it was just so cool here that you had, I believe Patrick Spaziente, uh, yeah, did the illustrations. I mean, he's one of my favorite sonic artists.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um, hey, he does all. I mean, he, that's that's mostly what he does now is these different licensed books for all sorts of. I mean, I've seen him on Ninja Turtles books and stuff, and I had no idea that he was going to be drawing it. Um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, Ian McGinty did the cover for that, mm-hmm. um, but not the interiors. And I think at first they had, they had told me that Ian was going to do the whole book, and then I think he had like too many freelance projects on his plate, and then they're like, "Well, we'll get somebody else." And I was like, "Oh," and I like Ian's work a lot too. And then then when I learned it was Spaz, I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" You know, so it really worked out cool.
0: Nice. Yeah. And you also worked on an activity book, uh, the Race Against Chaos book. Um, we touched on this, I believe, in the interview. But just to catch people up, like, what, what is the process of writing one of these? Obviously, it's different from writing, uh, like, a chapter book or a short yeah, story. Um,
1: it's You know, in some ways, like, doing the activity books is more like doing a comic because I, I write a script. And I, I, I pick what's on every page. And, um, some of the times, uh, it's very simple. And I just say, okay, it's going to be, uh, you know, I'll just say, it's going to be a, a, a crossword puzzle and here are some clues. Um, but some, because I, you know, I wanted to make sure, cause my thing was, I didn't want to make a book that a kid could do in like five minutes and then that would be it. So I wanted to do something that had a little bit more creativity in it and some things like they had games that they could play more than once, like play a game with your friend type of thing. And I remember right. one of the things I put in there was like, if you remember that the game that used to be in in coloring books all the time where they'd have the different dots and you had to make squares and like trap things and like earn points doing that. And, um, I had, I'd been at a restaurant and they had it on a placemat. My, my kid was very, very young when I, I think, they were like three years old and uh, I was, we were at the placemat restaurant and I was like, can I get another children's placemat please? And they're like, what? And then I took it and I scanned it at my computer and I sent it to Penguin in the script, like do it like this game except put Sonic on there. Um, so yeah, so those are, those are fun to do. And the other thing about those too is that like they give you a PDF that is the, the style guide for Sonic and it has like key images for all the characters and stuff like that. But that's the art that you have to work from. So I, when we did that book, I tried really hard to use every single individual image in the style guide and try not to repeat any of them. So at some point I got to the point where I was like, okay, I've got one more Charmy B icon that I haven't used yet. What can I put Charmy on on this page to make it work? Yeah,
0: Right, yeah. I I saw that with the um, Sonic Movie 2 poster book. Uh, They went the other direction and it seemed like it was the same five images. But I think they had had a lot of restrictions uh, going into a lot of these books. Um, There were two short uh i I don't know what what's the industry term for those like square books that target like yeah the um i I
1: don't i don't know what the term is but yeah just the the basic story i think it's story books usually but yeah the Mm -hmm. ones that are oh those are only the spinning rack at barnes and noble right i've been trying to get i mean generally i write stuff that's more for like middle school kids and up i've done some ya stuff Um, But because I have my my kid is seven years old and like I'm always like, oh, man, I want to do more picture book stuff. And I've not been able to get anybody to hire me to do it. But I think sometimes a lot of those books are actually written by editors at the publishers because the page count so small that if they hired a freelancer, they'd they'd give them not much money for it. So the editors a lot of times will write. And I've had editors that write those books under a a pseudonym. So like that one person down the hall will be writing it and then they just give it to their friend and edit it and they put it out under a pseudonym. Yeah.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, the the two that came out are actually they say Sonic 2 on the cover, but they cover the plot of the first movie. One talks about all the characters and the other one talks about, you know, like where we've gone so far. So it's it's a little misleading when you check them out cuz you're like, "Oh, it's I'm going to get some uh, a month ahead of the film's release. I'm going to get some big spoilers in here." And then, you know, it's like when Sonic was a baby and you know he was yeah. born with the owls. Um, Which, yeah, so that brings us up to the meat and potatoes of this conversation. So you, uh, since we had you on, I remember you saying, oh, I'd really like to write for comics. It would be great to write for, and I don't know if IDW was a thing then. Archie may have been questionably with the license still, but um, tell me first, like, how did you get into the comics? Because we have, and I guess we'll go kind of chronologically here, at least with with Sonic 2... Materials, the prequel.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because um, like the, uh, the production timeline is really weird in that the, the, the comic came out of course, like a couple weeks before the movie, but um, it was, it was chronologically. It was the last thing I did. Um, right. You know, the, the book, big uh, book book publishers, blah, the big book publishers like penguin and, and random house and scholastic and them, they have to send their files off to the printer way in advance and so I had written the novelization and had that all done and squared away and I think I had just started talking to IDW about doing the, the comic at that point and then so we did the comic and uh, we're doing corrections on the art like the a, a comic publisher like IDW doesn't send the files out to the printer until like two or three weeks before it goes on sale like it's, it's a much shorter window so mm. yeah so um, it, it was the book and then the comic but um, yeah, the process of doing that it's, it's really weird when, and I don't remember exactly the timeline, but I had I had done the first couple books for Penguin that were not tied into the movies at all, and then um, obviously I knew a lot of people at Archie, and I'm still I still know a lot of people who work at Archie, um, but you know at at the time uh, they had the main Sonic book and the Sonic Universe, and Ian wrote it all, and, and it just never occurred to me and i was still doing some i used to be a you know a reporter and i'd interview people and that's how i met everybody at archie and i didn't i didn't want to be a reporter who was like hey can i can you hear my pitch out on this because i think that's a little unprofessional so i was just kind of like ah well i won't do that and then i i stopped doing the reporting thing and then the, the license moved to idw and it just so happened that the guy who was the initial editor on the sonic comics at idw was joe hughes um who had been he's been a lot of places. He was at DC comics for a long time and he worked at vertigo, which is like the exact opposite of doing something like Sonic. Right. Um, and then he had left DC and he was a, a, a reporter like I was, he worked for a, a website called comics Alliance for a while. And that's, I knew him through that. Like we'd always be going to conventions and like waiting in line to do interviews with somebody next to each other. And, you know, he's just a guy I saw around and I really appreciated his work and we became buddies and we would talk about basketball and stuff. Um, and so when, when, sonic went to idw somebody told me oh joe's doing that so i was like oh i'll reach out to joe like if he says no he it doesn't matter he doesn't care (laughs) so i reached out to him and he was like yeah man like we're just we're just getting it on its feet like ian's gonna be doing stuff and tracy's gonna be doing stuff but if something comes up i'll let you know and then um like a long time went by i'd see him every once in a while he'd be like oh yeah we'll figure out something to do and then he handed off editorial duties to to david marriott um and i i'd at one point, I just sent an email. I think it was when I was working on the novel for the first movie. I sent an email to David, and I was like, hey, I'm doing the novelization for the first movie. Like, Let me know. If you guys are doing any tie-ins, I'd love to work on something. And and this shows to show you how much the people who work on this stuff really love. I mean, the, the Sonic people in general, the one thing that's really great about working on the franchise is that everybody's super passionate about it. And Dave, I saw David on Twitter today complaining that he couldn't find a a, a rogue, the bat uh, action figure at any stores, (laughs) Like like he's just buying action figures like the rest of us, you know? Um, But David was David. When I reached out to David initially, after he took over the books, David was like, oh yeah, man, I read Sonic and the Tales of Terror. You did a really good job with big, the cat. And I was like, what? I didn't know that he was reading the chapter books or whatever. Um, And so for the first movie though, they didn't, they didn't do a tie in and I don't know if it's because, you know, they, the movie got pushed back and they were redoing the CG and they weren't sure. I mean, I'm not sure exactly the deal, but that at the time they were just like, yeah, we're not going to be able to do a tie-in for the movie. And he was just kind of like, I'll let you know if anything comes up. And so then another, you know, year and a half went by of global pandemic. Um, and, uh, when movie two came up, the novelization came up again and I wrote him again and he was like, yes, we are doing something this time. let's get it happen? So it was, you know, it, all that together was probably two and a half years of me casually emailing people at IDW until a job opened up, which is, pretty, pretty par for the course freelancing, really.
0: Wow. Yeah. Persistence is key. Um, so writing the pro like the process of writing a comic versus the process of writing a novel. Um, you said there's a shorter turnaround time for a comic. Does that mean there's a shorter writing time, like the window of time that you're given?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm trying to remember how long it took because a lot of times, yeah, I think, you know, probably I took about a month and a half working on the comic and probably the novel took about three months, I guess. So mm. yeah, they are a little different. And the other thing that's really different about, you know, when you're doing the, 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 novel, um, you've got the screenplay and you're alone, you know? And, and if there's anything that they need or want to change, I'll, you know, when I'm done, I send in the draft and my editor looks at it just from a creative standpoint. And then they send it to Sega and the Sega gives notes if they need something changed or, or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, uh, but really you're alone. Um, the comic like, we had tons of people helping out um we were doing conference calls and it's both the editors there and um toby asher who's the, the executive producer of the movie um was um doing calls with us and giving me notes and he's the one who i don't know if you saw uh, we can talk a little more about it in a minute if you want but you know jim carrey contributed the the, the pitch for the the robotic story <laughs> in the comic book yeah um and so yeah so that so like the comic is not only like i have less time to write it but like there's a lot of planning and discussion before you write it and then you write it and you get notes from a lot of people and then the artists do their amazing part and then you get the art back and it's like okay let's move this balloon over here because it's blocking this or whatever so like there's a lot more collaborative feel to the comic than there is to the books
0: and also when when you're writing the books obviously you're going off of a screenplay not the final um not the final dialogue that goes into the film but but something that is about to go in front of the actors or is like one revision yeah. away from going in front of the actors. Whereas with the comic, you are doing everything off the, I mean, you're, you're making up the story. You know, it's coming yeah. from your imagination. Um, was there anything, you know, from uh, the first two that you really wanted to explore more in the comic? Like what, what was a story in here that you were really excited to uh put pen to paper and and tell
1: you know the 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 one that i had the most fun with was the tale story um Mm. because like i said back in the day in the first movie when i wrote to david and and pitched my my email to him was hey can we do a long claw one shot like that like the thing i I wanted to like do backstory and he was like yeah that'd be cool but we're not doing it um and so when we came up with the, the tale story it was like okay let's tell the story of tales before the 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 after credit scene or that mid credit scene from the first movie, right? How did tails get there? And the the thing that was fun about that was one, like we, with the Sega people and and Toby and everybody else and David and, and, and Riley Farmer, who's the assistant editor, we, um, we went through and we made a list of levels from the original games that we could reference. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, and I'm going to get the name wrong. I'm sorry, guys. I always get the zone names wrong, but like in Sonic two, the movie at the end, they go to the, the owl temple. And I don't, what level is that? And in, in one of the games, is it the hidden temple level? I don't know what it's hidden called.
0: hidden palace. But... I think you were, they were referencing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like they were like, okay, so don't reference that level. Cause that's in the movie. And mm. then we went through and it was like, okay, we can do the spring hill zone. We can do, you know, whatever it is. And so I, it was fun to kind of come up with not only all the references that were there, from the games but the piece that you know uh, I was was happiest that was accepted as a suggestion was we're on the conference call there's like seven of us like doing a zoom call and they were like okay what else we're going to do what we want to do and when I had written the novelization for um, the first movie um, I'd written it uh, it before i mean this goes back it was before the trailer came out and everybody was like well we're gonna fix the cgi and we're putting the date back or whatever and there had been some changes in the just the edit of the movie Mm. during the the time so like i turned it and everything was approved and then they redid the design on sonic and then they edited a couple different pieces together and the first draft of the book i had done included this character rava which is the Mm. the lizard character um uh, that after the, you know, I didn't say anything about it when the movie came out. Yeah, there we go. Um, I didn't say anything about it when the, for the first book came out because nobody knew, but then eventually some, I don't even know who did this cause I don't think it's on the DVD, but one of the people, um, who worked on the, the, at the animation studio that did the characters and stuff, put up pictures of Rava online right. and everybody noticed it. And so while we're on the zoom call for, for movie two, I said, Oh, Hey, can we use that character? Cause it was in the novel. And then I had to rewrite the novel to take that character out. Um, uh, and then Toby was like, "Yes, yes, let's do it!" Like, and apparently, like <laughs> all of the guys, all the producers, and the director, and the screenwriters of the movie, like loved that character, and they just couldn't find a way to practically get it into the final cut of the film. So when I was like, "Can we put Rava in the comic?" They were just like, "Hallelujah, we get to use Rava for something!"
0: <laughs> so in the in the comic, Rava is kind of like just one of these creatures passing through these portals, um, yeah. uh, and existing in these in these zones and worlds and in the movie you see a little bit of that you see these like guys coming through the portal um before uh, knuckles does and i think they appear in the comic as well was rava like that in the original draft like what what was rava's role
1: in in the like and again like when i read the first draft that i read for the first novel i probably had like the seventh draft of the screenplay Mm. so uh, things may have changed but but in one of the drafts that i read rava was was um uh more of like um, a secondary big bad um, and 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 appeared in the flashback with long claw and all that too i see um, and so and that and that you know and, you know, they ended up going fully with the echidnas, which I think everybody was psyched about anyway. So I think, you know, the final edit that they got together on that was great. But yeah, but it was it was some of the some of the backstory is kind of like the, the, the flashback big bad. And so, right. but I, you know, there may have been a couple different things, because I think, again, I think the movie guys love that character. And we're trying like, where can we fit this character in here and just couldn't, you know, the process of making a movie's got a lot of cooks in the kitchen. They just couldn't find a way to make it work. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and talking more now about that first novel. Uh, going back to the first book, there, um, how did you how did you land that gig? Like, um, what was the process there?
1: Well, so it, it, it's funny because I um uh, I had done the two books for Penguin that the, the, that you showed earlier. And then, um, and I've done a lot of other books for that imprint. The people that's the imprint is called Penguin Workshop. You know, Pe- Random House Penguin is now this giant, giant, giant. It's the biggest publisher in the world, right? And they've got many, 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 many little imprints. And um, the one that I've done most of my books with is Penguin Workshop. And and the, it's funny because when I started working with them, they weren't called they weren't called that. They were a bunch of other imprints that had been bought over the years by Penguin and like brought under this umbrella. And and they were most known for doing. Uh, Mad Libs. Uh, and I think I, somebody else said, I didn't do the Sonic Mad Lib, but I think they did do a Sonic Mad Lib. Um, and that, the name of that imprint was P- Price Stern Sloan, which was um, it used to be an independent publisher that did Mad Libs and then Penguin bought them. And so but while I've been working there, like a really cool crew of editors has has gotten together and they rebranded the imprint. And the reason they chose the name Penguin Workshop was because they they consider themselves like they do licensed stuff and they do media tie-ins, but they really want to be more collaborative and more in depth than some of the others. And I've done other books at other places and, um, the process can be kind of mind numbing sometimes doing these books. Um, but the penguin people are really, really great at like making something cool that fans actually like. Um, and so I done uh, like a cartoon network book there and I did those, those first two Sonic books. And so I, you know, I'm just always in touch with those guys and, and talking about doing other things. And my editor who had edited, I think had edited, um, the tales of terror book was like, Hey, do you want to do the movie novel? And when I started doing these, these licensed books, like doing a novelization of any movie was on my bucket list. Like I really right. wanted to do like, cause I just wanted to see what that process was like. Um, and so I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, it was and so again, that, that guy's name is Carl Jones. He, he's since left and he now, um, does, he lives in, um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he does all sorts of interactive, the uh, children's theater and puppet shows and stuff. And he's, a, he's an expert uh, double Dutch player. He's great at skipping <laughs> rope. He's a, he's a funny guy, Carl, uh, but he was the one who brought me on to be the first novel. And, uh, you know, like, again, sometimes I've written some of these books at other places and you'll write a book and you turn it in and the editor's like, cool. And you never hear from them again. And then when the book comes out, there's a bunch of stuff in there that you did not write, you know? Um, uh, and that's just the name of the game when you're doing license stuff, because sometimes somebody from the, the licensor who owns the property wants to change something or whatever. And a lot of times the editors who edit these books, they're really overworked. Like they, an, an editor who edits like a literary novel edits like five, six books a year. And a person who does licensed books edits like 70 books a year. Um, so frequently when you turn in a draft of something, they'll just go, OK, we've got this. We'll rewrite whatever we need to rewrite. But Carl came back to me after the, like I had a draft of the book in and then they redesigned Sonic and they, they moved back to push date on the movie and it, and there were some changes like they didn't really do reshoots of like James Marsden and Jim Carrey or whatever, but they definitely edited the movie in a, a slightly different order. If you get the, the DVD for Sonic movie one, um, there's a scene in the bonus features where Sonic, crazy Carl is trying to catch Sonic and he's setting out all these bear traps and stuff and right. these, like, doing a puzzle like that was originally or at least in the draft I did the first book on um, was the opening scene of the movie um, and then like, you didn't see Sonic at first he was like hidden until like 10-12 minutes into the movie um, and then when they when they re-edited everything and redid the CGI they, they changed the flow and they're like alright we're going to start with Dr. Robotnik and then we'll just have that as a flashback and so I was really lucky that Carl called me up and I was I, I have an, I have a book coming out next year that's a, my own book um, called Strikers. It's a it's like a middle grade hockey graphic novel, um, and I was working on the script for that, and I was like on deadline for that. And then Carl emails me and is like, "Hey, we just got a new draft of the screenplay from Paramount. Uh, the beginning of the movie has changed." and we need to rewrite and he's like I I want you to do it but I have to get it done because we have to send it to the printer so like (laughs) can you do it in the next three days and I was like well I guess I'm stopping working on my graphic novel (laughs) so if you look at the the first movie novel the the first three chapters were written like seven months after the rest of the book Um, and that's when yeah yeah and so like I, I got to rewrite the first three chapters and there was a couple things later in the book that changed that I edited then and there was a couple things that I if I would have had more time, I would have edited them a little bit more clear. Like there was some stuff that stayed in the book that didn't make it to the movie because I didn't have time to rewrite it all. But in another situation, I think the editor would have just rewritten the first three chapters of the book and called it a day. But I'm really glad that they came back and let me do it because it it still sounds like my writing and it, it, it feels more complete and cohesive. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And so going through that original process where you had the Ra- Rava in there, was there anything else that you, you liked that was either removed or, or- were there things that were ordered a certain way that you were actually kind of relieved they they adjusted for the movie?
1: I, I think the thing that they adjusted the most was and again, this is just me guessing, mm-hmm. um, they wanted to make it more like the original games. You know, right. like I think the reason they, they didn't open with Crazy Carl and instead opened with Robotnik and then went right back to Baby Sonic and that was because they wanted people to come into the movie theater and be like, here's a giant loop de loop. Here is the, you know, they wanted the right. fans to get what, what they remember from the games in there. And so, yeah. So there wasn't any edits that I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad. Like, I mean, I, I was sad that we lost Rava, but like um, for the most part, like everything got better and better. And I think really, I think I got two drafts when I did the initial version and then I got the draft six months later, whenever, when I did the first three chapters again, and each draft of the screenplay I thought got better and better and better until we got the final movie. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. And I, I will admit that when the movie was, um, I think, first announced, I was a little weary of it. Um, when I was seeing the uh, uh, like behind-the-scenes stuff, they were like, Filming has started on Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, and it was like a neighborhood street in like Canada. And I was like, what is going on here? This is so strange. And then they're like, oh, there's a hole in the side of a house or something like that. And I'm like, what is this movie about? And then there was um, James Marsden as as Tom Wachowski, and I was like, this is this is this movie's bizarre, um, and yeah, and and when that first trailer hit, I was fairly negative uh, towards the design. I I felt like it was so far removed from what I was hoping a Sonic movie would be. Um, but then they after the delay and when they changed the design and and just you know from what I've heard from you tonight and what I've heard in the past, it's really a movie that they, they kind of fixed in post or, or at least just like shuffling things around and adding just a few touches really helped the film. It's funny um, because,
1: you know, when like my editor and I talked about it when, you know, when the first trailer came out and all this stuff happened and we were bummed mm-hmm. out just because I, I really think like in a alternate universe where they sent it out for the original release date and stayed with the original design, as much as that design didn't look like sonic to to people the story was still really good you know like i mean like some of the edits that they did definitely like i said added some more of the the sega stuff in it and then the original games but like we were like oh man like people are down on this trailer but the movie's gonna be fun like we were like the screenplay is really fun and so i'm glad that like the redesign Got people to give the movie a chance because then I think yeah I think I think it would have been fun either way but I think the redesign like actually like got people to get on board with it yeah
0: right and and I will admit that I'm not the type of person to look at the the first movie and think this isn't Sonic because I've seen so many iterations of Sonic I mean there's ones where he has a brother and a sister and they are like fugitives and Robotnik's like like the King of England almost and you know like their mothers in hiding and then there's um, Sonic X where it's Probably the closest to the Sonic movie where Sonic's in the real world and he's interacting with humans. And to be quite honest, I much prefer James Marsden to like a, a whiny little kid, you know, um, that the anime had. Um, but what really surprised me was just how much the sequel not only like, I don't want to say fixed the original, but like brought in so many elements from the game's and yet still embraced so many elements from the first movie. In no way is it like a soft reboot. Um, yeah. There's... And, and I, I did a, an hour-long uh, sort of like reaction of on that night uh, video where I just came on and just talked about it. And like, yeah, there, there were so many times when I was like, they could have just ignored moments from the first movie. And instead, they kind of embraced them and and elevated them by tying them in with lore from the games and it just kind of made me laugh tonight because I, I forgot if it was Variety or some publication put out an article talking about, and I don't know if you've seen this, um, how they were equating the uh, sales figures with video game, movies based on video games, with how simplistic the plot is. And they were claiming that because Sonic, 2 ga- Sonic games have such simple, non-complex plots they make more money. And I was thinking you could be, you couldn't be further from the truth. Like some yeah. Sonic games are the most complex stories I've seen in like games targeting the, uh, all ages demographic and like Sonic two, I take me like an hour just to sit down and, and explain everything to someone. Like
1: I know. And you know, the fun thing was like in between, I'll tell you two things. One in between the, the two Sonic books I did, um, uh, uh, a book for a movie called Ron's gone wrong. I don't know if you saw this if you've oh, seen yeah. the movies and that was really, really fascinating just because, um, an animated movie like with Sonic, they film the actors and they've got a certain amount of material to work with. Yeah. Some things they can add in CGI, some things they can do with the edit, but like the core of the movie that's live action is in the can and they, they, they work around that. But with a fully animated movie, like Ron's gone wrong, when I got the screenplay for that initially, it didn't really have an ending like it was a screenplay for like 80% of it and then the last 20% the screenplay was really just a few paragraphs like and then he goes into this tower and he does this and blah 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 and I was like wait how am I supposed to write this there's nothing here <laughs> and so it took a while doing the animated movie where like I had to keep emailing back and forth with people from the, the animation studio and at one point I had to just say okay guys what happens in this scene in the movie I don't understand from the screenplay and then somebody wrote back and was like okay this happens and then this happens and then this happens and I was like oh good okay so I figured it all out um uh uh um but like when i was doing that ron's gone wrong book um initially for the first sonic novel there was a word count and it was like kyle hit this word count and so when i wrote it you you might notice that um uh uh you know the sister-in-law character who's really funny in the movie she's yeah. not in the first book a lot and the reason for that was it was just like okay i've got a certain shorter word count and I can't go over the word count because they, they know how many pages they want this to be and what price point they want to do for the novel. And it was like, of all the things I can cut out of the screenplay, the sister-in-law was first to go because it that's, that's the kind of humor that's in the movie. In my view for like the parents who were there, right. You know, she's like, you got to divorce right. this guy and stuff. All that stuff is like, it, you know, and I'm writing the book that mostly the kids are going to be reading and like, they don't care about anything. They just want to see Sonic do cool stuff. So all the action scenes stayed in and all the sister-in-law stuff got de-emphasized. Right. And, um but when I was doing rounds gone wrong, I, I was like trying to fit all the stuff in the movie. And then my editor just said to me, oh, don't worry, Kyle, we'll just make the book longer. And I was like, oh, we'll make the book longer. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just write a whole bunch more pages that, you know, like it was the best note ever that I could just keep writing. So when we did Sonic 2, to your point about like describing the plot, like you'll notice that the, the novelization is like way thicker than the first book. And yeah. that's because um, the first novelization sold big numbers. Like Penguin told me that like that that because of the Sonic fans came out, the, the novel for the first movie was an in-house bestseller and then yeah you can see how much thicker the second one is so when the, yeah, we did yeah. the second one it was like you don't have to cut a bunch of stuff you don't have to hit a word count just like get the story right and so that's why the book is so much longer um and the other thing i was going to say you're just talking about like um you know how much the how the second movie keeps the the elements from the first movie and then adds this lauren and stuff and i really think honestly the 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 reason for that is is because it's all the same people like usually when you see a big Hollywood movie the sequel is written by a completely different set of screenwriters. Oftentimes they get a completely different director or whatever but like um, Pat Casey and um, his writing partner um, uh, who wrote the screenplay have been the ones who have been shepherding the story through all the movies Jeff Fowler obviously is the director of both Um, Toby is is the the producer and then um, I can't think of the other guy's name because the other executive producer from Paramount but like it's been the same team and I didn't even know this until recently when I was reading some of the articles about the movie coming out, but, you know, like Jeff Fowler, he directed cut scenes on one of the old games. Like, was it Shadow of the Hedgehog or one Shadow, of the old games? Shadow, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so he's been with this a long time. And when they originally pitched the Sonic movie, it was going to be at Sony and not Paramount. And then Sony dropped the option and then Paramount picked the option up. But they That's kept right. the whole team. And so when you see the second movie and you're like, oh, look at all this stuff, they put all this lore in and stuff, and that's because, like, the core of the creative team on the movie are guys who get it. They're all, like, you know, I've become friends with with Pat Casey, the screenwriter, because this is really funny. He found me on Twitter, and then he tweeted at me one day, and he's like, it was before the first movie came out, and he's like, dude, I I pre-ordered your book. And I was like... (laughs) Why? Well, like you, you wrote the book. why would you need it? But I think like he was just so excited that they were doing it, you know, that like he got the book and mostly he and I just, if we're talking to each other, we're talking about the NBA or something like that. Um, uh, But you know, my impression having worked with these guys just in this very limited capacity that I do is that they're as diehard of Sonic fans as anybody is. And that's why, continuity wise and I've seen Pat was just saying yesterday to somebody who was asking and he's like oh we're not going anywhere on Sonic we're working on three like they're keeping the creative team together and that's why I think it's it's been able to add so much and, and so much from the lore and, and get the balance right is because you know they don't have a bunch of cooks in the
0: kitchen right yeah that's that's really good news because um, and I don't know I don't know if I want to get into spoilers I think we'll, we'll save spoilers for the end because I don't want to I don't want people to jump ship just yet um, but uh, yeah, that that's really good to know. Just because you know, like we're saying here, the the evolution from one to two has been really solid. Like it's basically a two part story, um, yeah. and not to say that there aren't still loose ends, but it it ties up a lot. Um, it explains a lot more, especially with the whole long claw thing. Um, but yeah, th- there were some elements though, and I have the novel here. I just wanted to touch on. First just a funny thing. Um what one thing I appreciate and I think a lot of the reasons why I, I seek out um not just uh what would you call this, a junior novel? Yeah, yeah. Junior that's probably, probably accurate. Yeah. Um is that I really like when they get into the heads of characters and you'll like there will be a moment that's just like one second in the movie, but it's like two pages in the book. Um <laughs> and so like for for instance, I thought it was just funny that robotnik jumps on a riding lawnmower and like chases after him but (laughs) then the novel goes the extra length to say never having stooped to the level of doing manual labor like yard work robotnik had assumed the riding mower would move faster than 12 miles per hour so it's just it's kind of funny that you put an extra level of humor there it's like well it is funny that he's riding the lawnmower but it's also funny because he thought it would go faster because he's even as smart as he is, he's above manual labor. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: yeah. it's like um, you hear these
0: politicians who think a gallon of milk is
1: twelve dollars or something like that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: absolutely. Yeah, and what I kind of find funny too is the very first Sonic novel, which we discussed when you were on three years ago, um, has a moment where it's a flashback to Robotnik and Sonic as kids, and their whole um, their whole rivalry begins with a tractor. Robotnik rides a tractor. Into something and break something, and then it causes him to hate Sonic forever, or something like that. Um, and so I think it's just kind of funny that we get Robotnik again riding like a piece of yard equipment uh, yeah. in a novel. It's just it's a very loose connection, but it's there. Um, yeah,
1: I mean the really the really dumb way that I tell people I wrote these books is I know this is the worst comparison to make, but it's true. Um, I, I thought of the Game of Thrones books a lot. If you read any of the George R. R. Martin, because in those books every chapter is one character's point of view and mm. it's third person, but it's always close in their perspective. And so when I wrote the novels, my goal was, and initially I, 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 asked and they, they couldn't, the graphic department couldn't get it right. But I wanted each chapter to have like an icon. So if you were in a Sonic chapter, it'd be a Sonic icon. If you were a robotic chapter, it'd be a Robotic icon at the, at the chapter header, but they, you know, they weren't able to do that because there's too much, too much design work to get it to work. But um, you know, every chapter is, this is Robotnik's thinking. This is Sonic's thinking. And yeah, that just making myself stick to that format let me get in the heads of the characters a lot more and add in a lot of detail. Because some of these things you read, I mean, I went out and I bought, when I started doing this, I bought a bunch of like junior novels and movie novelizations, and some of them are really bad. Like, I'm not yeah. saying I'm the best writer in the world, you guys. I'm not a genius, but like, I'm better than some of this other stuff, you know? Like, I wanted <laughs> it to be like fun to read.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and I was going to say that there has kind of been a um, novelization and junior novel kind of renaissance recently. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's been an extra push to include bonus scenes. Like, they actually promote that. They'll say, oh, scenes not in the movie are in this book. Um, There was actually, like, kind of a mad dash to collect the MonsterVerse Godzilla novelizations. The first one is actually, like, insanely hard to find. It sells for over... $50 Fifty to hundred dollars now, wow. um, for the Gareth Edwards Godzilla movie, um, and it's because they they would bring on the same writer for a few of the books, and they would have consistency, and people picked up on that. And they're like, "Oh, I love the movies, but the books are making references to the other movies and having bonus scenes." And um, do you do you foresee any anything with the Sonic movie like continuing in novel form, like with new stories?
1: Um, I don't you know, I don't know. I mean, in one way that's that's what the um one shot, the comic book became. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and so that was fun. But like I said, you know, like like to do that and to make the novel happen or to make right. the comic happen involved a lot more coordination with the producers. Um and that this is really I'll tell you this is the backstory. I'll tell you the Jim Carrey backstory, okay? Okay Um So we had we were working on the comic and initially I submitted So initially it was really funny because I think some people know this. Um, uh, Initially when they had like just put out the first couple, uh, it wasn't even the solicitations yet, but I think that IDW had put out something that said it was initially supposed to be a mini series. Um, And uh, Gail Galligan, who's a great writer, she's written, she's done the babysitters club at scholastic graphic novels, and she's got original graphic novels and and she's done the Sonic. I think she did something in the 30th anniversary one shot and the Sonic annual last year. And so initially she was writing the, the, the main feature. The original plan was that there was going to be four-issue miniseries, and the Sonic story, with the bank and all that, was the, the front feature, and then there was going to be five-page backups in each issue, and I was only going to do the backups. And then, as the process got along... Gail had other stuff going on and, and just had to drop out and was doing her own work and and, and was very very gracious to me when they said, Kyle, do you wanna do this because Gail can't do it? I re- I immediately reached out to Gail and I was like, Gail, is it cool if I take over this? I don't wanna I don't wanna like steal work from you and she was like, No, it's all you. Have fun. I wanna read it when you get it done. Um and so she was incredibly cool about that. But um so we we had like some ideas from that early draft for the main story, but I had to take what was gonna be four issues and make it one issue. And right. then I had the backup features and I had submitted like pitches I'm like okay this is what the knuckle story can be this is what the tail story can be and then they would come back and say Oh well, let's do this and let's do that and with the Robotnik story it was really hard because obviously he'd been on the mushroom planet for the entire time between the two movies and like when you start Sonic 2 you see all the elaborate Rube Goldberg that he's built and, and all the stuff he's been doing. And so initially when I was pitching stories for the Robotnik story in the, in the comic, I was like, okay, well let's just like show how over the course of the, you know, 250 days or however long he's been on the mushroom planet, how he lost his mind. And he starts arguing with the mushrooms. It was mostly just jokes, right? Like we didn't have much to work with and it was like jokes. And every time we would do it, they would be like, ah, but like, does that spoil the very beginning of the movie? Like we didn't want to put anything in there that would like, Blow the, you know, what happens in the movie. And so then one day I get an email from David Marriott, the editor, and he's like, Oh, I talked to to Toby uh, today, the producer, and uh, he said that Jim Carrey has an idea for what to do for the story. (laughs) And I was like, Bullshit. No way. Not even possible. Right. Um, And then we got just like, it was like a half a page. Right. And I don't, I don't know if my assumption is that like they sat down and Jim Carrey was like, All right, here's what's going to happen. And then Toby typed it all out and sent it to me. Um, But it was, you know, the uh uh I mean the Jim Jim's story was, you know, he finds the mushroom, he eats it, uh, he goes to the cave, the, the mushrooms grow teeth and start eating him, he turns this thing into a flamethrower. It was just like the action beats. And it was, you know, pretty much what Jim Carrey came up with is here's a conflict that we can make a story out of instead of it just being jokes. And I was like, Thank God, because I, I was I was hitting a wall to be honest. You know? And so but like that's the challenge with like, are we gonna be able to do more Sonic movie stuff is we don't wanna step on the toes of what the next movie and now they're going to do the knuckles series on paramount plus like, right. you know, so like really like to do those kind of stories. I think the, if they happen, it's going to have to wait until all the scripts are written for the knuckles show and all the script is written for Sonic three. And then like, once they know, okay, this is exactly what's going to be in the future. We'll know what, what other parts of the universe could be played with. Right. And I mean, obviously I don't work for Sega. I don't work for Paramount. I don't work for IDW. I mean, I'm a freelancer, right? Right. Um, but I'm going to keep emailing them and being like, Hey, are we going to do any tie-ins? Do you want me to write anything else? You know, like I'm going to keep <laughs> asking them to do it. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we'll get to do more stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, you know, fingers crossed. Um, I can't imagine, like I said, Penguin has, has told me that they're very enthusiastic about how the novels sell. Um, and I, I, I would be shocked if, they offered the next movie novel to anybody else, right? You know, so right. hopefully at least I'll, I'll do the, the third movie novel. And, and if we can find other ways to do stuff around it, I'd love to. Yeah.
0: You're, I mean, you're the guy and remember the last show you, you said, Oh, I'd like to write more of these books. I'd love to write some of the comics and it happened. So whatever you say on the <laughs> show will happen. So if you have any That's other wishes really you want to throw out there,
1: willing it into existence. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, in the novel, uh, another thing I wanted to call out, and you you discussed this a little bit with someone online um, was the child of Mobius uh, yeah. mention, and there was a screenshot going around that was actually mine, and then someone found it and what what kind of irked me was that I posted it and I was like, "Oh, this is very interesting. look at this friend twitter friend someone 's you know uh, someone 's mentioning this and then someone took the photo, posted it on their own Twitter. It actually blew up way more than mine because they were like dropping f bombs and they're like holy effing f eff, and I'm like yeah, I should yeah, have yeah. done that instead but um <laughs> um yeah so that what really struck me is that it's it's Mobius is the planet that they all come from it's brought up a few times and in watching the movie I paid special attention to when Knuckles was talking And it almost seems like it made the film, but they edited it out. And I know you can't speak to that, but I'm just thinking, I'm just saying that out loud because he would go, don't play dumb with me, apprentice of Longclaw. It just seemed kind of a little choppy when I watched the movie. And I don't know, like, is this something that made it pretty late in production? Do you have any I I
1: have no idea, but I'll I'll say this. Like, you know, like one is, and this is just the the catch-22 of all novels, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, first I'll say the only thing that will actually be canon long-term is when, if a movie comes out and they say Mobius or they label it Mo- like that will, will become super official. Right. Right. Um, but like the, the line was in the screenplay that I got and, um, and there are a couple things like, it, cause let me tell you, I'm gonna, I'll tell you a couple stories So people who are watching this. I know there are people out there who are like, all I want to hear about is Mobius Kyle, but I'm sorry. I'm going to tell a long story to get there. Okay. So you're just going to have to wait a minute. Um, but, like, when I went and saw the Sonic movie, I went and saw it on Saturday when it came out. And uh, I, I went with my family. My wife and my kid uh, wanted to go. And um, uh, a kid, uh, my kid's friend from school wanted to go. So we made plans to go, like, meet people. And it was Saturday. It was 1030 in the morning. And I thought, oh, this will be super chill. It's 1030 in the morning. Who goes to a movie on 1030 in the morning? tons of people apparently go to movies at 10 30 it was packed and so i i they got in there got seats and i had to go get the popcorn and while the i went to get the popcorn like a rush of people came and i got caught in the line and i missed the first 10 minutes of the movie like i was so (laughs) angry i walked into the theater like cussing and kicking and i missed when i walked in it was when sonic's on the the top of the building going it's blue justice and i missed the whole beginning of it right (sighs) And I knew we were gonna do this talk and I wanted to be able to like know for sure what was in the script, what was in the book, what was in the movie. And so then like I waited a week and then one night I went and I timed it out to the movie. I went and I saw everything everywhere all at once. Um, But everything everywhere all at once started 15 minutes after Sonic started. So I went early and I went and watched the first 10 minutes of the Sonic movie. And then I went and watched everything everywhere all at once. So I could know, but like, just as an example, um, you know, in the, 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 script for the movie, uh, uh, Robotnik's on the mushroom planet and uh, he has this vision of he's going to build the beacon. And that's what calls, you know, puts a signal out to the universe and that's what brings Knuckles and the scavengers to the mushroom planet. And um, in the, in the script, he like has a vision where like it spells out beacon on the, on the side of the mountain in the mushroom planet. And that didn't make it into the movie. And you know, odds are, you know, you got a runtime you're trying to hit, you got effects you're trying to do. And they were just like, okay, we don't really need to explain it that much. We're just going to clip that little 40 seconds out of the footage that we shot or whatever, you know, but it's still in the novel, right? Um, and so the Mobius thing is, is a similar thing where um, it was in there. And when I saw it in the screenplay, because again, the guys who do the screenplays, it's it's uh, Pat Casey and Josh Miller. And I, they're, you know, old school guys. They've played all the games. They've, they've been in the franchise in the beginning. And I don't know if they threw it in there be, because they really wanted to make, Part of the world building that or if it was just a, an easter egg for for fans who go back to to saturday a.m or whatever it is um but they put it in there and then I, as i i'll admit as i was doing the book i was like i wonder if this is going to make the final cut of the movie <laughs> or if it's going to get cut out <laughs> but it turns out it did but they left it in the book and I'll, the only thing else I'll say, i can say about it for sure because I I, I I don't i don't feel comfortable saying anything from behind the scenes that is not out there somewhere else. Like we, like we talked about movie one and the opening with Crazy right. Carl. That's on the DVD, so I'll talk about it. Um, but there was another thing in the screenplay um, that was not a Mobius or Saturday morning or Sega America reference, but there was another line of dialogue that was like a clear call out to the deeper lore of Sonic. And mm. I put that in the novel and that got cut from the movie, but that also got edited out of the book at one point. Interesting. Um, uh, and so... And so you know, I know that people out there. Uh, I don't know if you know who Heather Antos is. Heather is a, a she's an editor at IDW. She edits some of the Star Wars comics and stuff like oh, that. Okay, Yep. cool. Um, but she put out one of those like, what you know? You people put out prompts on Twitter, and we all respond with whatever the answer to the question is. And her question was, "What do fans not know about making comics? If you're a comic creator, what do you wish they knew?" And, and what I said in response to her was honest guys like we who are making this stuff we don't know what the debate in the fandom is we don't know what thing you're desperately wanting to do and when something happens in the movie or the comic or whatever it's not because we are 100% on your side or we're against your side or we're trying to do this or whatever you know like we just we don't know and so I don't think that that really you can read in like oh they said Mobius in this screenplay and that means all this other stuff I really just think it it, you know for the most part it's an easter egg until they if they decide to do something else with it in some of the other movies you know but I, I do think that it was it was kind of cool that like they definitely went through and said with the last draft of the novel and said, okay, this part of the lore we're going to claw back. We're going to cut that out or whatever. But the mogis part, they were cool leaving it in there, you know? And I think, you know, they know that fans like that stuff. And I think everybody was just kind of like, yeah, that's cool. We can put that in.
0: Right. Yeah. I I had some bizarre speculation where they realized they were going up against Morbius and they thought it might be a little strange to have Sonic be from the planet Mobius, and people are like, "Did he say Morbius? He's from the planet Morbius." And I mean, you've seen Morbius has made about three hundred trillion dollars at the box office now. Um, it is uh, it's the Morbius sweep, as it's they're calling it.
1: Can I tell you the funniest thing? I tweeted this too. But when I was in the line, like grumbling with the popcorn, knowing that I was missing the beginning of the Sonic movie, this woman walks up behind me and they had the Morbius, uh, I'm drinking drinking water out of my, now this shows, I do I still have a Liev Schreiber as Sabertooth 7-Eleven cup that I'm Mm. drinking water out of. Um, But we're in the line, I'm in the line with the popcorn and I hear a lady behind me and they had Morbius cups at the movie theater when I was there to see Sonic. And she said to her son, that actor is Jared Leto and that movie's amazing. Jared Leto has been acting for 20 years and he's still amazing. And I wanted to turn (laughs) around and be like, excuse me, but who are you? Like she was so hype about Morbius. I don't know what that was all about. Um, But no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's funny.
0: It is a little ironic though um, that it, it be the Sonic movie began, began as something Sony had the option to create. They never did. And then here we are now Sonic two going up against Morbius and, 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 and Harry Potter to that, you know, like it, it's the, yeah. the fact that Sonic is outselling a Harry Potter film is insane to me, but I mean.
1: Yeah. And the, the person who I think has been the, the best champion of all this stuff is, is Ben Schwartz. It, um, yeah. You know, he is like as nerdy about this as anyone. And, and I, I, a lot of the tweets I've seen as he's been promoting the movie and stuff has just been like, Video game movies, you know, like he he's a, he loves playing games and, and he, he loves all this stuff. And I think he's glad that he was he had such a, you know, a vital creative role in a movie that has like broken all the stereotypes on. Oh, video game movies don't make money or video game right. movies don't have good stories or whatever. It, you know, I mean, it's like, well, if you do them right, they do. You know, so
0: and it, honestly, you know, talking just about the, the creation of the movie, it's been so um Great to see a a team of creatives and actors, people uh, on camera and behind the scenes, all getting along, all enjoying the process, <laughs> and none of them are going through, like, legal battles or getting arrested right now. It just, it seems like a lot of the franchises that I, I had followed, um, just, they got so, I don't know, like, bogged down in, like, Hollywood drama, and, you know, like, you're hearing people are getting arrested, and they're going through legal issues, and they might be pulled and deleted from films because they're just like fed up with it. And I'm not seeing any of that from the Sonic movies. If anything, everyone's like super happy to be a part of it. Um, you know, even Idris Elba, uh, which was just a shock to me. Like he's, he's loving it. Um, I wanted to know what, what were your thoughts on, uh, Idris Elba's accent? It, It was very interesting, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it's so funny because, uh, um, God, what was it now that we were watching?
0: Oh, I'm not going to be able to figure this out.
1: My kid is seven. And the funniest thing with her is that um, uh, uh, she's just starting to figure out things in pop culture, you know? Mm. Um, and she's just starting to figure out, like, characters from shows and things. And we watch the show that we're watching right now on on TV all the time. Is We watch Young Rock and then mr mayor on nbc and 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 she's gotten into young rock because we watched the jumanji movies and so like the rock is like the first actor that she knows that's the name of that person in real life is the rock and whenever we watch mr mayor though which is a little bit older show i mean like most of the jokes just go over her head in that show she's always looking at ted Danson and going is that guy a real mayor and i'm like no 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 he's an actor he's playing the mayor she's like oh okay all right that makes sense okay you know and um I don't know what we were watching the other day. That's going to kill me that I can't remember this, but Idris just elbow was in something and my wife pointed to TV and my wife was like, honey, do you know who that is? And she's like, no. And she's like, that's knuckles. And my, my daughter was like, what? <laughs> like it was like, could not, <laughs> could not match the thing that she was seeing and hearing in real life with knuckles that she had just seen in the movie theater. Like it did not line up. And so, that's yeah, yeah, funny. yeah. I love, I mean, it was obviously if you know him, it, it sounded like him, but I am a big guy on, um, with voice acting, I, I don't mind back in the day and I'm a big nerd. And back in the day when you'd see animation and stuff, voice actors would do the voices for everything. Um, right. I went to, uh, I, I grew up in a town called grand blank, Michigan. Um, and in uh, one of the, the, luminary alumni of my high school was Rob Paulson who um, was Donatello in the recent Ninja Turtles was Raphael back in the day was it was Yakko Warner Pinky from Pinky and Pinky for making the brand I mean one of the great voice actors and I loved seeing him at conventions all the time because once we got to know each other a little bit he knew I went to Grand Blanc and he, every time he'd see me he'd be like go Bobcats um, <laughs> but like you know I love voice actors and that that's that's a really specific skill and, and over the past 10 years or so at, you know in the post Pixar era um, they just hire actors who are popular on live action to do the voices for all these movies and some of them are just not trying some of them are just not changing they're not giving a character in their voice they're just doing their regular voice or whatever and I appreciate it when they're actually living up to the art and so yeah like I think Elba like in the Knuckles role like it really feel like he tried to and Ben Schwartz too with Sonic I mean like it sounds like Schwartz but it doesn't sound like John Ralphio from Parks and Rec or some of the other right. stuff he's done right right um, and, uh, I think, I think both of them have done such a nice job of like, actually not just in terms of the personality and how they play the part, but in the timbre and pitch of the voice and like getting in the right resonance for knuckles or whatever. Like, I just think like it, they sound like the characters more than they sound like the actors, which is not always the case. I think.
0: Yeah. And I think it helps too, that, um, I, I recall when the first movie was in production, a, uh, a kind of wish list leaked of who they wanted to play Tom and who they wanted to play Sonic, and in both columns was Chris Pratt, which was kind of funny um, <laughs> because he's now Mario and I think Garfield. Um, but I, I don't believe either James Marsden or Ben Schwartz were on those lists. And uh, you know, to Ben's credit, this you know he is an actor, but he has also done voice acting. And if you were to tell me, oh, they hired an actor. Um, instead of the uh um you know normal uh the, the video game actor for sonic i'd go oh boy who is it chris pratt and they go oh no it's it's the guy who played john Ralph- ralphio on parks and rec i go oh okay well he must have had an audition at least and you know impressed someone it wasn't just kind of like oh let's get him on name alone because i mean no offense and to the dude, know, but he is I'm not curious. It, you know if i ever get to meet the uh
1: the Because like I said, you know, I, I know, I know Pat Casey a little bit, and I've, I've interacted with Toby doing stuff. And, 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 mm-hmm. and, and I'll tell you that when we do the the comic, um, the comic goes out to all the actors because they've got to sign off on their likenesses and say, right. I approve of the art that looks like me. So I know, I know that at least a lot of the actors have read the comic, but I didn't get to interact with them. But i really like to talk to, to Jeff Fowler and to Ben because one of the things I learned again when – after the movie's out, they've been promoting it. I guess – at one point early on, one of the earliest things they did once they had a screenplay together was that Ben did a voiceover session as Sonic and they put together like what they call a sizzle reel um, to like, prove to the studio that the movie had legs. And so, yeah, Ben's, you know, Ben was not involved quite as early as Jeff and everybody else, but he's been involved like for quite a while. And like, I think he was one of the first pieces casting wise that came together. And like he, you know, and the other thing about people that don't know about Ben is that, I mean, I don't know if people realize this, but he's done script doctor work. Um, mm. famously, I don't know if you knew this. He, he wrote a lot of the C3PO lines for, um, uh, 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 the rise of Skywalker. Right. You yeah. Know? Um, came in and did all that kind of stuff and so like he knows how the behind the scenes stuff but it feels like he's been involved in making the movie happen for a very long time um even before everybody else was cast too which i think is great
0: yeah no he he did a fantastic job and i just i really like the team they have there i'm glad to hear that they're they're going to be continuing on and that you've you hope and you, you believe that you'll be doing more work in this universe. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't considering all the great work that you've been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that,
1: and that's the thing too, you know, like sometimes you do a great job and then they, nobody ever calls you back and you're like, Oh, okay, whatever. You know? And it's, again, it's not like I'm saying like, Oh, I wrote the greatest books ever. You know, I mean, I know they're, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're junior novels of a movie from a screenplay, but um, uh, yeah, it's been fun to do them. And I'll say, the only thing I can say is like I said with the movie universe, I don't know, um, when anything else will happen because I don't think any of the scripts are written for the Knuckles show or the, the Sonic 3 yet and I think that'll take a while before that happens but I do have in principle another Sonic project and I won't say where it's at or what it is because I haven't t- I don't say anything until I sign a contract um, but <laughs> at least one people have reached out to me and I'm like hey there's this other Sonic thing that, that, that we should be able to work on and so fingers crossed I'll have something else in Sonic's world between now and the third movie yeah
0: and you also mentioned that you have a um, graphic novel that you're working on. Yeah, it's coming out next year.
1: Uh, I wrote it, um, uh, and it's it's drawn by a guy named Jacques Corey. My cat is eating something on the floor here, dude. Come on, if that gets on if that gets on the podcast, they're going to hear crinkling of you chewing that plastic. <laughs> Maybe it's not coming through. Uh, but yeah, no, the book is called Strikers, and um, uh, it's the way I p- describe it to people sometimes is it's like the Mighty Ducks meets the movie roger and me i don't mm. know if you know roger and me michael yeah, most, uh, yeah. for movie, but, um i was born and raised in flint michigan and uh, being from flint means an awful lot to me and you know i write kids books and i love underdog sports stories uh, i love you know the mighty ducks and the bad news bears and and, and things like that and so the book is the story of like a, a a team the the one of the things about the story is that i i didn't want to make a, a sports book where um you were like, are they going to win the championship? I wanted everybody to know, no, this team's terrible. The point is not whether or not they win. So at the beginning of the book, it establishes that their regular season record is uh, two and seven. They only win two games and they, <laughs> they, they lose seven games. And then you're just going to watch this, this train wreck of a season happen. And so... Um, it takes place in in 1986 in Flint, um, and it's it's a little bit about the the history of the town and what it was like to grow up there and what my memories of like growing up there. But it's also like this sports story where like all the different players on the team are like weird, you know, like mutant kids who just have like um, uh, uh, crazy personalities and just have been thrown together on this team. And so it's it's really the thing I'm most excited about that I've done in mm-hmm. a long time. And it's it's taking a little while to get ready because. Um, My artist Jacques Corey um, is uh, uh, he's doing everything. He's, he's penciling, inking, lettering, coloring, all of it. Um, uh, And so it's going to come out next year um, from Lerner books, uh, which is a publisher. I I don't know if any people know Lerner, but they they mostly do stuff that goes to libraries. And so their primary market is that this will be in like every library in America, but also it'll be in comic shops when it comes out. And, And I'm, I'm working diligently to see if I can get Barnes and Noble to order some copies too when it comes out but uh, yeah so Strikers comes out uh, next year probably like late summer next year
0: that's exciting I know it was kind of a passion project of yours you've been talking about it for a long time so that's great to see yeah and in some uh, ways
1: I was a little bummed that it's taken as long as it has but with the pandemic like I feel like by next year I'll actually be able to like go and do events I'll go to conventions (laughs) or I'll go to bookstore signings like can't so like in a way it getting delayed as long as it has has been a good thing yeah
0: yeah yeah Um, Another thing I wanted to ask, uh, I always like to touch on your career itself and any advice you'd give to aspiring young people who want to get into a career like yours. Like, How do you do it? Because sometimes I'll have people come on here and I think to myself, how do they make a living doing that? Because I sometimes wonder how I make a living doing what I do and yet I I manage. So um, any behind the scenes sorts of things you want to share with uh, younger listeners?
1: I think the, the the two most important tips that I have when you're, especially if you're on the writing end, right? Like, because I know that like um, a lot of people who are watching this, a lot of folks who are super into Sonic are art people, and I I was an artist when I was young, and I did not develop the professional skills to be a full time professional comic book artist. When I do my scripts, I draw thumbnails and stuff, but I share them with no one because they're terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think a lot of folks know that there is kind of pipeline from the art side on Sonic stuff. A lot of people draw fan comics or they do fan art and they, they put it up on, on Tumblr and Twitter and everywhere else. And then eventually some people do get noticed by, by IDW or Sega and they get brought into the mix. Um, But from the writing end, it's way tougher. It's harder to like, when you're doing art, you can kind of hold up and say, you know, this is a piece of art I have done. And somebody looks at it and says, yes, that's good. You're good at that. Um, nobody can hold up and say, here are some words and and immediately impress somebody. Right. Um, so, and it's hard to, even if, even if you have written something and you know, it's good, sometimes it's hard to get an editor or an agent to read it. Right. Um, so the two pieces of advice I give to everybody is one, um, finish whatever you start, right? Like if you start working on a novel, uh, and you start to feel that fatigue, you get 10, 12 chapters in and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to end this. I'll just quit and I'll start. And I've done this a million times in my life. You know, I've started a book and I've gotten halfway through and I'm like, I've lost the plot of this and I just junk it and I go on to something else. But it really, even if you get to the point where you finish it and you're, and you don't want to sell it, finishing puts your mind in a, in a certain kind of order where you get better at finishing things. And I feel like I've gotten better at doing this since I've been getting these licensed books because I have to finish, right? Like when somebody hires you in advance and says, you're going to do this book on this movie, I can't quit halfway through. I'm under contract. I got to give them money back if I don't finish it. Um, (laughs) So like finishing things for one is, is just creatively what you've got to do. Always finish a project. You start, even if it sucks, finish it and say, I wrote something that sucked and then try to write something else. That's good. Um, The other thing is though, is really when you're a writer, um, networking is important, you know? Um, most of the jobs that I've gotten doing this stuff have happened because I go to conventions and I go to writing conferences and children's literature conferences, and I, I meet people for coffee and I just try to get some real human one-on-one interaction. Right. And a little bit of this can happen, um, online, but when you're online, you're just a little square image that might not even be your own face. Mine's not my own face. Um, and you're like one of a billion people, um, but I've I've always gotten better results finding people who actually pay me to write stuff when I've met them in person. And I've, you know, to be frank with you guys, uh, when you can show up and like, I'm not a weirdo, I'm not like incredibly awkward or uncomfortable, or <laughs> I'm not like a, you know, I mean, and I love, I love, and I, I love the fans and most of the fans are super, super, super chill. But I think you guys all know there's that 5% of fans who are just really enthusiastic and it's like okay you're you're kind of scaring me a little bit with how psyched you are about whatever your question is is so specific and in particular i don't (laughs) know what to say to you um but yeah like really i mean like writing some stuff and publishing your own stuff if you can first is great but i really think that that the way to get jobs is go to conferences go to workshops uh meet with editors if you if you're going to a conference and you see an editor on twitter who says that's going to be there just send them a note and say hey uh, I'm going to be there too. If you want to meet up, let me know. And and I tell people this all the time too. try to find people's email addresses at their work. I, I don't think it's a great thing to reach out to people on DM on Twitter um, uh, to ask them questions about stuff. Um, most of the people that work at, at publishing companies, there's like a, a form, it's usually first initial last name at Penguin Random House or whatever it is, you know, so try to find out what the format is for that company's email if you find an editor or an agent or somebody that, that looks like they're working on something or what's the kind of stuff you want to do, send them an email to their work email. That's very professional and short and just says, Hey, I'm this person. This is what I do. This is what I've done so far. I'd love to meet with you at, at San Diego comic con or whatever, if you want to meet for five minutes. And like, like I said, you know, with, with the IDW thing, it was two years of occasionally emailing with two different people at that company before they said, and it is not, and, and you know, it's not like they were like, we don't want to give this guy work, but you know, they've got a lot of, Project to juggle they've got a lot of people to hire they've got a lot of people pitching them so you've just right. got to be patient and and persistent and polite and uh eventually things will will shake out
0: that's great advice yeah i'm a freelance graphic designer um and i do a a full-time freelance gig but i also do uh side gigs i actually have three projects due tomorrow for three different people so <laughs> yeah i definitely our
1: energy as soon as it's called yeah down. right
0: exactly so i definitely do need to to finish what i've started um, but yeah, I, I can definitely echo that. Um, when you when you meet someone and you you think there's something there, some opportunity, don't say no to a you know getting coffee, having a chat on on Zoom or Skype or something like that, because you never know uh, what what opportunities you'll get. Like I, I I've gotten an ongoing gig working doing work for this college just from meeting this guy at a star wars convention and like we were both like oh we're both graphic designers let's go get coffee sometime we did and then he's like hey i thought of you when i talked to this woman yada yada and here i am you know making a not too much extra but you know you can (laughs) buy a new pair of jeans or something i can't say exactly all the
1: details of this but a couple years ago at scholastic i did these these books for the book club and it was about monster trucks Gravedigger, if you know oh, grave it's and my monster favorite jam and that so i did these books and it was just it's not like a narrative it's not a storybook it's just here's profiles of all the trucks and now right now um the company monster jam feld entertainment who owns monster jam found me on linkedin and they were like hey we need some we need some copywriting done and you're the only guy that we know who knows our brand and is a writer so do you want to so like now I'm writing Monster Jam stuff but it's just you know like and again those books were like 2 years ago and then somebody just found me on LinkedIn and was like do you want more money and it's like yes please so
0: That's awesome. Yeah, Monster Jam was the last big public thing I did before the pandemic actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> last thing I did with my family. Um, So before we go, I I have a few questions here from the audience. Uh, First up, we have one from Mecha Shadow. Um, He's asking if you have ever read... Well, he's calling it the Legendary Sonic IP Bible. Um, But were there any, I guess, internal Bibles that you were handed that you had the privilege of reading outside of the script?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, what I saw was much more recent i know i don't know exactly the thing but i know that there that within the fans there are some like old school like and there's some sega of america stuff and all that but like none of that stuff but like yeah when i did the very first uh two books that the activity book and the the tales of terror book they sent me the the most recent updated bible and 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 had you know the official canonical sega version of sonic history and 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 all that stuff and and it and it talked in there about you know The redesign, you know, the original Sonic was much shorter, and then, you know, they did the the redesign with the – what system was the – Sonic the Hedgehog on? Was that a –
0: 2006 was the Sonic reboot, and then Sonic Adventure was when he first had the green eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it mentioned all of that in there and, like, talked about – I mean, because really they make those Bibles for – if you're a person who knows nothing about Sonic and you need to know everything, like it's all in there. So yeah. So I have somewhere, I have that PDF of, of that Bible, but it's, it's not the one you're thinking of, but it's, they, mm. they do have an updated one that goes out to people who work on the stuff. Yeah.
0: Did they talk about humans at all? Cause that was actually a big thing. People were talking about recently. They, they said that it's no. one world.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, uh, that again, that when I did those books, it was before the switch from Archie to IDW for the comics. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it doesn't, it didn't, it doesn't mention anything about that. Right. But you know, yeah, like I don't really have any insight to the human question, but like, I know that, you know, you know when I did um, the Tales of Terror book, um, that book came to me, um, they had done a guy named Jake Black, who does a lot of these kind of licensed books, had written another one called Sonic and the Tales of Deception. Um, ah, yes. And then they came to me and that, that what all the Penguin said to me was we, we want to do another one and it's got to be Sonic and the Tales of whatever. Like they're just you pick. And so I picked Tales of Terror because like you, I'm a I'm a Halloween guy. I'm a spooky story guy. And um, so I pitched all those stories and I uh, knew Sonic Unleashed. And I and so I wanted to do a a, a werehog story because it was, you know, perfectly fit the theme. And, um, you know, there are humans in that in that. Uh, uh, game and stuff and and there's some references to some of that stuff in the story I wrote and so you know as as far as I know Sega has been super chill about that that's one of the ones that I got the most enthusiastic feedback from Sega on was using some of the canon stuff from Unleashed and and putting it in that story but in terms of like specifically like what's the status of humans in Sonic's world currently like I I have no idea
0: I'll keep asking you. I'll keep DMing you that every day. Any update on that that human situation? I really want to. It's such a strange thing because I feel like it's it's not a taboo question. It's just not one that many people get to ask because typically it's like IGN sitting down and they're like, "So can Sonic run pretty fast in this game?" And they're never like, "So can you explain the humans thing to us?" You know? No yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, the, the people who do the game coverage are
1: focusing on gameplay, and I think the people who play the games as well but read the comics and stuff they care about lore and and universe building and that and you know i think my my general take on all that stuff is it's not that anyone doesn't like a part of the canon that you like or 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 doesn't want to do but i think they want to they don't want to tie themselves down if if they're making a new game and they get to the point where they're like okay here's a new location we can build a whole new level on or whatever but oh my gosh we put out a map of all of Sonic's world, and every like, well, where is that location now, right? You know? So, like, I think right. a lot of that stuff, there's not, yeah, there's not confirmation on specifics because they want to have the leeway to add cool stuff in if they need to later. Yeah.
0: Right. right. Absolutely. That makes total sense. Um, we have a question here. We have two, actually. I'll just kind of combine them. So, one's from The Repugnant Mama. <laughs> it says, um, When are you going to work on a Big the Cat novelization? You kind of. I mean, you kind of did, right? Big with is, the... yeah, Big's in the Tales of Terror and, and in a big way. And like I said, um,
1: David Marriott, who's the editor of the IDW books, he's like, he's big super fan. Um, uh, uh, and so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, we'll keep trying to see what we can do, but I, I guarantee you that if I if I get a chance to do more stuff, especially in the comics world, I'm sure if I'd said, hey, let's do something with Big, David would be like, yes, let's do that right away. You know, so... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's high on the list of people I'd like to work in for more stuff. Yeah. Uh,
0: the point bearer is asking. So, are there any chances you might include Rouge the Bat in the novel? I guess. I mean, the novel's already written, so you can't go back and do like this is my my director's cut. But
1: no, yeah. And I'll say I'll say this because I know that people are. Um, well, spoilers if you're watching this, right? But you know. Okay, let's like do the, the spoilers. Yeah, that's fine. Do we're at the because we'll, 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 we're at this question now. Like. Um, uh, uh, with the with the post credit scene in the movie there's the shadow thing and it, it was so funny doing the first novel versus the second novel because in the first novel they just sent me a pdf of the script and they're like here you go Kyle. and it had a watermark on it they had my name so like i'm not i'm a professional person you guys i would never take the screenplay and right put, put it online or whatever but you know it was it was there was some level of security but for the most part they were like here's the whole screenplay Here's Tales in the post-credit scene, which is in the, the the first novel. But when we did the second movie, and I think this is just a function of that the first movie was a big hit. It was like, you have to log into this website and you only have access to the screenplay via this website for 28 days. And it's a special website where you can open the PDF in that website, but you can't, I couldn't do screen caps. Like I couldn't take pictures of anything. Oh, wow. Like it was, it was a much higher level of security. And when I read the screenplay for movie two, the first version of it, I got there was that post credit scene was in there, but it, it didn't, I don't think it even described shadow. I think I read it. And like, because I knew that I read the dialogue and I was like, Oh, that must be shadow. And then they sent me another, they updated the draft in that system. And the post credit scene was done. And they said, we are not putting the post credit scene in the novel. And I think they were, they were worried about that leaking. Um, Right. and, and, you know so um uh so yeah so as it comes to all other characters like i because i know that i'm sure that's what people want to know what is shadow going to be in movie three is is rouge going to be in there is anybody <laughs> the other characters like i don't know man like they've got that on lock right now like mm-hmm. even even you know if it's a need to know thing and i don't need to know yeah
0: yeah i i will say um for anyone who didn't pick up the pre-quill comic there's a lot of qu- uh license to quill was my favorite marketing um turn line i saw i kind of want a poster of that uh being a bond fan but there actually is one of the artists snuck in a reference to the chaotix they appear in the casino night zone
1: well i'll say say, um,
0: somewhere yeah
1: and i and i and i i'm sorry to, to 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 have a faulty memory here yeah but that was suggested during story conferences and I don't remember who suggested it. <laughs> right. But as we were on the call with Sega and the movie producers and stuff, like somebody was like, let's put the Chaotix in the knuckle story. And it was like, yes, let's do that. Right. So like, that's definitely, you know, something that was approved. And, and, and just like when I said Rava and they were like, yeah, let's put Rava in there. Like, yeah, they, they wanted the Chaotix to be even in the background. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And last question, this kind of comes from me. Um, what would you say is the difference between writing for the game canon Sonic and the movie Sonic? Because they do have different personalities. Like, How, how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, you know, it, one of the funniest things about the first book, and this is again goes back to that question we had earlier about um, when, when stuff stays in the book that, that maybe gets edited out of the movie just for time or, or whatever, Um, so many people when they would tweet at me or or i'd see people talking about the first novel they'd be like oh that's the sonic novel where sonic cries a lot um uh and like i think it's kind of funny but it's not like i went out of my way to make sonic like more emotional um there, there was a there was a little bit more dialogue that was a little bit more serious and gravitas and like sonic being upset that tom wanted to leave green hills and go to san francisco like the, the original draft of the screenplay had more of that, and then in the in the act of making a movie, you know, some of that stuff just gets taken down. But it's always been my impression that um, the Sonic in the movie universe is a little younger, I think, um, than the game Sonic, and I think movie Sonic is being a kid is a little bit more emotional, a little bit more sensitive. I mean, he's still zany, sarcastic. Impulsive Sonic that we know from any of the different versions of the franchise, but I do think that there's just there's just a little bit more, you know. I'm growing up and trying to figure out the world, kind of an angle to the movie Sonic that I like.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely see that. Um, well, you you nailed it. You're doing a fantastic job. I really like your your work that you've done within Sonic, and I'm looking forward to that graphic novel uh, Strikers. You said that comes out next year. Yep. Yep. And, and if you
1: t- and if you follow me on Twitter when it's coming close I'll be tweeting about nothing but that next year so like you know I'll make sure anybody <laughs> who's around knows when that's coming out and you know it, when I'll, I'll say not even if I'll say when I have more sonic stuff coming out you'll hear about it first on my twitter account for sure
0: so. that's fantastic and where can people find you on on the twitter and on the internet
1: yeah, so it's just um, my name, which is spelled weird, which is tough for me in terms of internet. Well, I guess easy, I'm easy to Google if you know how my name is spelled, but if not, I'm hard to find. But it's it's just K I E L P H E G L E Y, so just at Kyle Figley is the Twitter handle, and I have a Substack which is just starting up, but is I'm going to be posting more over the summer. I, I have papers to grade for the for the teaching gig I do, and then uh, I'm going to be doing so. But that's just Kylefigley.substack.com, and I have a couple little things on my homepage, which is kylefigley.com as well.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to following your future works. Would love to have you back on once more. Sonic stuff drops. Um, I'll I'll ask you again about the humans question. Yeah. Clearly <laughs> dodged. I don't know. Like. Uh. <laughs> Well, no, the then, Sonic I appreciate it. It's like I said, all, the, like, all you know,
1: that time ago when I was like, I got to find a Sonic podcast to talk about this stuff with. And I found yours and I was like, all right, here's somebody who gets it, Barry. So, like, I'm very glad that you have me back. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. It's always nice to have guests coming back on um, and following your career. And I'll be following your career with great interest. Uh, so thank you again for joining us. Um, thanks for everyone for listening and watching. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks I have no plans, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Um, Kyle, again, thank you so much. Take care. Have a great night, and we'll see you in three years. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.